tonight, uh, it's not really the wrap-up uh, because we, you know, we summarized all the science really as, as we went along. But the uh, interesting thing that I continued to run across as I was studying all this is that there's really a, a, a lot of science in the Bible. So as we talk about the Bible, you know, if we, if we have led someone to, from, from agnosticism, if we have succeeded in leading them from agnosticism to acknowledging that indeed there must be some superior intelligence, then the next obvious question is, well, who is that? And, you know, there are other holy books. I mean, the, the Koran has a holy book. Uh, the Hindus have a holy book. Mormons have a holy book. How do I know that your holy book is the holy book? It's a fair question. And uh, so as I began to study this, I started realizing, you know, it might be one of the approaches might be the science. Uh, because after all, we've been talking about science and surprisingly, there, there's science in the Bible. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to look at some of that this evening. <clears throat> now, the, the, the Bible is a really interesting uh, book for a lot of reasons, but the first is, and you know this, but I want to hit it real quick because the Bible itself is really not a book. It's a collection of books and letters, and it was written over a 1,500-year period by 40 different writers in three different languages on three different continents, and yet it tells one consistent story, and... A very interesting point, I think, is that after all these years, there have been no material errors discovered. Now, one example that, um, well, it's actually 100 years now, but I mean only fairly recently, one example that the antagonist used to throw up was the Hittite uh, nation. Now, you remember David's mighty man, Uriah the Hittite. And yet, for hundreds of years, there was no evidence that there was a Hittite nation. And so the antagonist of the Bible said, well, this see, there's just proof that this is all myths. Well, 100 years or so ago, the Hittite nation was discovered and now well documented. So once again, nothing that's ever been uncovered has contradicted what the Bible has said. Now, we're going to look tonight at uh, some of the things that science says and I apologize if we go quickly. <clears throat> Proverbs 25.2, I think, is an interesting place to start. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, and the search out a matter is the glory of kings. If you were given the challenge to write something that an uneducated, illiterate person could understand and yet highly educated people could benefit from as well. Could you do that? I, I don't think I could. And yet when you, when you realize that Moses wrote this to an uneducated, illiterate slave population, and yet he wrote it for us, I think, uh, 3,500 years later, and we benefit from it just like they did, and yet it's written in language that even they would understand. Somehow, God conceals it, and it's our fun to search it out. <clears throat> Let's look. 
the very first verses of the Bible. Let's look. In the beginning. Now, I won't repeat all that because you know we've talked about the beginning a lot, and it's only in the last hundred years that science finally accepted, 100% accepted, that there was a beginning. Prior to that, it was the, the steady state model, eternal and unchanging. And in the last hundred years, science came to say, oh, wait a second, that first statement in the Bible actually is a scientific fact. There was a beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, physics deals with four things. It deals with time, space, matter, and force or energy. What do we see in this first verse? We see the beginning. There's time. We see force, creation. There's the energy that goes into this, the heavens and the earth, the universe, space, and matter. All of that is summed up in that very first few words of the Bible. Now, the earth was formless and void, uh, empty, formless and empty. So it's pretty clear, I think, that this first verse is not talking about this ball that uh, we call home. There's this matter that has been created, and at this point, it's formless and it's empty. And if you remember, uh, we talked about Michio Kaku, a uh, Ph.D. physicist, uh, who described this creative moment as this incredible burst of energy, pure energy exploded from nowhere and began to move out in all directions. <clears throat> now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. He described it as being a, a pure energy, but a, it would have looked like a liquid. It would have been cork soup, uh, as he described it. And it was so dense that not even light could escape. Now, you're not unfamiliar with that concept because we now talk about black holes out in space that are so dense that nothing can escape, not even light. You might imagine that initial condition as this bottomless pit of gravity, so thick, so dense, that not even light could escape. <clears throat> now, remember last week, I told you to remember this picture, and you see that little part right there that's called the Dark Ages. Science is agreeing with what the uh, Bible says in that it was dark, and uh, there was no uh, light at all at that point, and it was empty. There was that first explosive uh, moment, and then a period followed that where it was formless and empty and dark. And Genesis 1-2 says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Michio Kaku says it would have been like cork soup, a liquid environment, pure energy, and it would have been dark uh, because no light could escape. Matter and dark matter were formed at the same time. Notice in the last word of that verse that God was hovering over the plural 
waters. Not just over the water. He was hovering over the plural waters. Well, what waters were there? Well, we now know that there is both matter and antimatter. There's matter and dark matter. And both of those were formed at exactly the same time. And so perhaps there are two there together. And Moses says, over the waters. Now God said, let there be light. And as we saw back in that picture, there was a time, science says, it took about 300,000 years. There was a time when as the energy spread out in all directions, it was cooling at the same time that it was dispersing and thinning out this period they call inflation. And at a point where the gravity diminished enough and the temperature cooled enough, light emerged. What is light after all? Well, it turns out that light is really nothing more than the very narrow visible part of the electromagnetic spectrum that exists. This is energy. And uh, this happens to be a representation of it. These are the various wavelengths of the various forms uh, of electromagnetic energy. And this visible spectrum is what our eyes see. And so you're familiar with ultraviolet. If you're as old as I am, you had a black light in your dorm room and uh, pictures on the wall, okay, ultraviolet. And infrared, well, that's what you see with at night, right? That's the heat uh, sensing uh, uh, wavelength. But prior to that is X-ray, gamma ray, even before that. Radio waves, we all know about radio waves, right? AM radio, FM radio. So all of this is electromagnetic energy. And at the certain point where this is expanding out enough and all of this is cooling, finally the wavelength spreads out enough that light emerges. Not that it wasn't there before, but it finally spreads out enough that it becomes visible. Job 38, by what way is the light parted? Well, how would Job know that light was parted? Once again, we're back to the visible spectrum right here, and you see that what we see as white light is actually different colors, blue, green, and red. Isaac Newton discovered this in the uh, late 1600s when he looked at white light through a prism. And he was the first one to realize that white light is not really white. We see it as white, but white light is really these various wavelengths of blue through red. And yet Job saw that light was parted, uh, well, Moses, (laughs) probably wrote Job, and he's the one that saw the light was parted. Can you send out lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Can lightnings speak? Well, actually, now we know they do because the lightnings he refers to is just this electromagnetic energy, and we're all familiar with radio waves, how they talk to us, And we're even aware now that you can send messages over light. 
that's what you, some of you have in your home with uh, the uh, Fios cables, for example. Uh, this is all information transmitted by way of light. And here in Job 38, he's saying that lightning can speak and say, here we are. <clears throat> so we, we have this period of uh, expansion and inflation. And uh, here in Isaiah 44, 24, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb, I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens. Another scientific statement. The heavens are expanding and have been expanding since the moment of creation, since that burst of energy. Science calls it inflation and expansion since then, after that first burst, they, uh, they call that inflation. But since then, we've learned in the last hundred years that even today, space is expanding. The galaxies are moving away from us. And there is a projected point in the future, millions of years, honestly, but there's a projected point in the future where we won't actually see anything in the sky because it's all moving away from us and eventually the lights will go out. Now, that's just the math of the scientists, but we are talking about a long ways away. Nevertheless, uh, Isaiah here is talking about the Lord who expands space and now we know that that's true. And here are some other scriptures that talk about or mention very specifically uh, this expansion or inflation. <clears throat> okay, Genesis 1.9, And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. So this may be a new uh, thought to you, but scientists believe that at one point all of the landmass in all of the world was connected. And therefore, all the waters were gathered into one place. It's called Pangea, Pangea perhaps. And uh, this is how all, this is their view of how all of the continents originally were actually connected uh, from top to bottom, east to west. And there's good evidence uh, for that. Uh, here's an example of that. This is showing how some of the fossil remains of uh, some different critters show up in places across the, uh, across the ocean from each other and uh, how these have been tracked. And so they believe this is, this is their evidence for uh, how uh, the land masses were at one time joined together. And by the way, uh, science today still says that the continents are moving apart at about one inch a year. Okay, one inch, wow, it's not very much. But over a long period of time, that winds up being a pretty good distance, one inch a year. Uh, Alfred Wegner was the uh, first person to uh, propose the idea of continental drift, and that was in the late 1920s. <clears throat> now, here's an interesting point. This is what the Lord says, Your Redeemer who formed you in the womb, I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, and now who spreads out the earth by myself. 
So the earth itself is spread out, and we, of course, now know that to be true because of continental drift. Again, about one inch a year, even today. Maybe we will finish by 6.15. Then God said, let the land produce. Let the land produce. Let the land produce. Well, it turns out that everything comes from the raw materials that we find in the earth. Genesis 3.19 says, For dust you are, and to dust you will return. It turns out that the human body contains 28 base and trace elements, all of which are found in the earth. All of which are found in the earth. You're probably familiar with the idea uh, long ago, long ago, that uh, the earth was flat and sitting on top of some big animals. That was, uh, of course, quite a ways back, several hundred years back, but uh, quite a ways back, uh, that was the thinking, probably 1500s and before. But Isaiah knew that that was not true. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Isaiah knew that it was not flat. And Moses knew that it was not sitting on a big animal. Job says he suspends the earth over nothing. And today we know that to be true. For a long time we did not. Here's an interesting uh, verse from Job 26.7. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. Now, I don't look up at the skies myself, and I don't see empty space, but it turns out there is empty space up there. This is a uh, photo from the, uh, one of the, the satellite uh, studies and an article in the London Telegraph in April 2015 said this, A mysterious supervoid in space is the largest object ever discovered, scientists claim. A supervoid has been discovered in the universe which is too big to fit into current models. The supervoid, which is 1.8 billion light years across is the largest known structure ever discovered in the universe, but scientists are baffled about what it is and why it is so barren. A void in space that Moses knew about 3,500 years ago. Job 38. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? You're familiar with that passage. Let's skip down to number seven. While the morning stars sang together. And all the angels shouted for joy. You know, sometimes we've thought, well, the morning stars must refer to angels. It might have. It might have referred to that, although there seems to be a distinction here between the morning stars singing and the angels shouting for joy. Here's an article from the New York Times in 2001. The leading theory of how the universe could have exploded out of the primordial nothingness known as the theory of inflation 
predicts that the quantum fluctuations should have rattled the universe in such a way that it resonated like a vast pipe organ with one main tone or wavelength and a series of overtones or harmonics. Maybe the morning stars singing, as Moses said they did. Genesis 6, 8, 1, 6 to 8. And God said, let there be a vault space between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so God called the vault sky. Well, what do we know about that scientifically? So we know that air is 75% nitrogen and only about a half a percent water vapor, and the atomic weights of nitrogen and water vapor are 28 and 18. So water vapor is going to rise above the nitrogen, which is 75% of the air. So we have a space between the liquid water on the ground and the water vapor that rises up above that. Now, here's an interesting detail. Water vapor has a molecular weight of 18. You got that in mind, molecular weight of 18. That's how heavy it is, okay? Methane and ammonia have molecular weights of 16 and 17. So 16, 17, 18. With me. Methane and ammonia would kill us. They're poison to you and me. So if they could stay down here where we are, we'd all die. But gravity is so perfectly balanced for life that 16 and 17 will float away while 18 stays right where we need it to be. Pretty interesting little tidbit, I think. And um, the Bible knew it uh, a long time ago. <clears throat> okay, Ecclesiastes 1.7, All streams flow into the sea, and yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. And this is an accurate description of the hydrologic cycle that we now understand exactly what happens uh, through evaporation. It eventually turns into rain, and, and uh, Solomon was right. It, where it comes from, it, it goes back again. Job 28, to establish a weight for the wind. Establish a weight for the wind. Well, it was discovered in the 16th century that air actually does have weight. Not known before then, but in the 16th century, 1500s in other words, we came to realize that air actually did have weight. Moses knew it 3,500 years ago. Ecclesiastes 1, the wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. Turns out there is a wind cycle, air cycle, 
uh, in the earth also, and now we've studied that and have that mapped out as well. <clears throat> Job thirty-eight sixteen. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Well, for a long time, of course, we couldn't explore uh, the ocean bottom, didn't have the means to do that, and so it's just like a big bathtub full of water. You know, I mean, it's just just a big lake. It turns out now we know that there actually are springs in the sea. Uh, you remember Paul Davies talking about the black smokers. You actually see white smokers uh, down here at the bottom. But it's not just, not just minerals that come up. Uh, this is a picture of divers who are uh, setting up a system to capture fresh water that's actually coming out of the ocean floor. So springs in the sea uh, that Moses knew about a long, long time ago. <clears throat> Genesis 1.14, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Now, I don't know if we can say we know this for sure, but here's what science believes. Science believes that uh, just a couple of hundred thousand years after the earth began to form, that it was struck by another planet about the size of Mars, so not real big, but, I mean, obviously big as a planet, called Thea. And that, of course, at that time, the earth wasn't anything like it is today. I mean, it would have been a wild... Uh, caustic, rough, terrible environment, volcanic eruptions, terrible gas, etc. cetera. Uh, but it, there was the, the explosion that blasted a, a bunch of material into space. The, the current Earth actually absorbed most of this planet but did, you know, spray a lot of stuff, which actually, through gravity, spinning around the Earth, coalesced and formed the moon. That's what we believe today. Well, why is that important? Because that hit the earth and tilted it 23 and a half degrees, 23 and a half degrees. And because of that 23 and a half degree tilt, we have four seasons a year. Were it not for that, somebody would be direct to the sun all the time, straight on, and someone wouldn't. But as it is now, the earth gets four seasons that are spread equally around the globe because of that 23 and a half degree tilt. <clears throat> now, uh, a side note, um, hope I'm remembering this correctly, a side note is that uh, why does it work out? Why is it that we have a 24-hour cycle? Well, I don't know why, we have a 24-hour cycle. Well, I guess I do too. That's how long it takes to go around the sun. So that's why. <laughs> but why is that a good thing? Well, the scientists say that if it was a shorter cycle, we'd all freeze to death. And if it was a longer cycle, not only would you burn up, but that the extra heat associated with lots more sunshine would create winds like we have on some other planets that are sometimes up to a 1,000 miles an hour, and we'd never be able to exist. So it turns out that the 24-hour cycle is just perfect 
for the balance that we need to live. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. What was seen was not made out of what was seen. Paul says in Colossians, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So there are some visible things created and there are some invisible things created. You know, we might say, well, okay, maybe he's talking about the spirit world. After all, we can't see the spirit. Uh, But it says that the visible was made out of the invisible. Well, it turns out there is a whole lot of stuff that's invisible. In fact, everything that you see in here, that you see here, this is all made of invisible stuff because everything is made of atoms. Everything is made of atoms. And a curious thing to me is that all of this is mostly air because it's the space, the air space between the electrons and the nucleus. It's air. And yet enough of them put together and it feels pretty solid. So it's all made from invisible stuff. By the seventh day, God had finished. So the point I would take there is that it's all done. There are no more changes. The table is set. Well, science has what they call the first law of thermodynamics. And that first law says that the total energy in the system is constant. Energy can, can be transformed from one form to another, but it can't either be created or destroyed. We're now in a closed system. Yes, the system is still expanding, but there's no new energy input in it. It's a closed system at this point, and God said it was when he said, It's finished. Psalm 102, of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment. Everything will wear out. Well, turns out that's the second law of thermodynamics states that entropy, disorder, or wearing out in an isolated system, we are in an isolated system, always increases. So science's law of, uh, second law of thermodynamics as well as the first conforms with the scripture from the Bible. Psalm 8, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. Well, Paths of the sea, it looks just like a big body of water to me. In the 1850s or so, 1850s or so, Matthew Fontaine Morey was reading his Bible and he said, paths in the sea. 
If God says there's paths in the sea, there must be. I'll go find them. And he actually did discover the ocean currents. He established shipping lanes, and he became the father of modern oceanography. Why? Because he read Psalms and said, well, God said there are paths in the sea, and he went and found them. Genesis 6, and this is how you shall make the ark. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. So many, many, many ships have been built to exactly these specifications. Not the fastest boat uh, on the water, but for moving cargo for, for stability and, and carrying weight, this turns out to be the perfect uh, formula, and many, many, many ships through the years have been built using that formula. <clears throat> Let's look at a few things regarding health. Deuteronomy 23. How many slides am I on? Oh, I've, yeah, okay, a few more. 23, you'll have a place outside the camp where you may go, and you shall have an implement among your equipment, and when you sit down outside, you shall dig with it and turn and cover your refuse. In 1846, there was an outbreak of cholera in London, and 16,000 people died because they didn't read that passage. Raw sewage ran in the streets, In Deuteronomy, Moses said, bury your waste. They didn't do it. 16,000 people died in 1846. Quarantine. Leviticus says um, that there is a reason that some are unclean, and all the days uh, he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean and shall dwell outside the camp. This was written around 1500 B.C., but in the 14th century, so 1300s, half of all Europe was killed. Half of all Europe died in what's known as the Black Death. Some estimate 70 million, as high as 200 million people died because of the Black Death. And why did it spread so rapidly? Because they did not know quarantine. The sick were left among the well, and the disease spread rapidly. And yet, Moses had instructed his people, if, you're, if you've got a bad illness, you go outside the camp. Moses instructed on quarantine, and we didn't learn that until the hard way many, many, many years later. Germs. <clears throat> he who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall pur- purify himself with water and bathe his body in running water, then he shall be clean. Ignaz Semmelweis uh, was a doctor in Vienna in uh, the mid-1800s, and he was at that time responsible for two hospitals in Vienna, the two largest hospitals actually in Vienna. And in one of those hospitals, the uh, I'm sorry, in, yeah, so in one of those hospitals, sorry, uh, births, Uh, pregnancies were delivered by doctors and in the other hospital they were delivered by midwives. Doctors in one hospital, midwives in the other. He's in charge of both of them so he's supervising, overseeing the whole thing. In the doctor 
hospital, the death rate among delivery mothers was approaching 30%. In the midwife hospital, it was about 2%. So the doctor hospital, the results were always the same. These, these women would deliver normally, everything would look good, and then in about three days, their stomachs would blow up, a terrible pain, and a day or two or three later, they'd die. Well, what was happening? Well, they would die. Doctors would go in and do an autopsy. Oh, someone's having a baby? Run right over and deliver that baby. Over in the midwife section, they're not doing any autopsies, you see. And so the, the survival rate in the, in the other room was a great deal bigger. So what did he do? He implemented washing, first of all, in a bowl, and that brought the uh, rate down some. And then he implemented washing in running water, and the death rate came down to about the same as it was over in the midwife hospital. So even though Moses had told us 3,500 years, 3,400 years ago to wash in running water, it took us until the mid-1850s, 1800s, to put that into practice. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Why the eighth day? You ever wondered, why the eighth day? Why not the seventh day or the tenth day or thirtieth day? Why the eighth day? Well, it turns out that the hormone prothrombin peaks on the eighth day. You know what that hormone does? Coagulates blood. Circumcised on the eighth day. Coagulates the blood. Let's look at some dietary things. Deuteronomy 14, swine is unclean for you. Uh, Bottom feeders in the water are unclean for you. Trichinosis. Now we know today that undercooked pork, really bad thing. Kind of hard to tell how well it's cooked if you're cooking out over a fire. So the best thing to do, of course, is just not eat that. You shall not eat meat torn by beasts in the field. Throw it to the dogs. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, You shall not eat any fat of ox or sheep or goat. Well, Moses apparently understood that meat torn by the beast would be full of bacteria. And so that should be avoided. And he's given them the warning here to avoid saturated fat. Leviticus 17, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, you know, that just seems so straightforward, so straightforward to us today, but it has not been that long ago that this was a common medical treatment. You're sick, you must have bad blood, let's get that bad blood out of there. And in fact, our first president died uh, from this on December something, 1799. Uh, He was ill, and uh, the cure for George Washington was to bleed him, and they eventually took 60-70% of his blood trying to cure him, and and it killed him. 
Luke 10, so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Oil and wine. Why that? Well, turns out that oil and wine contain methyl and alcohol, uh, ethyl alcohol. So given the kind of primitive environment that they were in, that was really the best treatment for a wound. And it turned out to be uh, the 20, early 20th century before we really understood what it, what it uh, meant uh, to do good wound care. How about that? A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Cortisol is uh, called by psychology today the uh, killer, silent killer uh, today. What do they call it? Public enemy number one. And uh, so it causes all kinds of uh, terrible things in the body, but how do you uh, control that? Physical activity, medication, meditation, social connectivity, music, laughter. Um, these are uh, things that we know today, but even the writer of Proverbs uh, knew that earlier. So there you have it. <clears throat> Those are the uh, points I found. I suspect that, and look here what time it is. I suspect that uh, as we get smarter in science, we're going to look back on and say, oh, there's another one. I missed that way back when. I've enjoyed doing this for you. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Uh, let me know if you want uh, some of the information and um, use it where you can. God bless you. Thanks.